Welcome to Marvel Moments, the show where we take a moment from the Marvel Cinematic Universe, just one scene from a movie or TV show to explore in depth, before using it as a launching point for a discussion of a broader theme in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We also take time to look at a Stan Lee moment that resonates with that theme in some way, before finishing with a mindful moment in the MCU. I'm your host, Matt. And our theme for today is Mentoring in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And regular listeners will be able to tell that we have a guest today. I'm joined by my fellow youth and children's worker, Stephen Mitchell. Welcome, Stephen. Thanks, Matt. Great to be here. Great to have you. Stephen, perhaps you could just say a little bit about what your work is. Yeah, not a problem. I'm a children and youth work, children and youth work development officer for the United Reformed Church covering what's known as the Mersey Synod, which covers Liverpool and, and, and Cheshire and, and some of North Lancashire. So my role is to support churches and to support volunteers in their children's and youth work and offer training and, and things like that. Um, so, and that's the equivalent of my role. Other viewers will know that I, I do a similar role with the URC in Scotland. I have an icebreaker question for us both. And it is, what is your favourite mentoring relationship in a Marvel movie? I think probably Clint and Kate in the, the most recent series on, on Disney Plus of Hawkeye. I think that en- encapsulates a lot of the things that I think define mentoring, which I'm sure we'll, we'll obviously go on to, to chat about. And both, both of those characters bring all those qualities of, of what I consider to be a good mentoring relationship. Excellent. Because you've taken my favourite as well, I'm going to uh, go with a non-MCU relationship. I'm going to go into the Spider-Verse and choose Peter B. Parker and Miles Morales. There's just something about that dynamic of Miles as the young protege, the the fledgling Spider-Man, and Peter Parker, who has been clearly been through a lot in his life by the time the movie starts, um, having to find a way to, as an older, more cynical Spider-Man, having to find a way to bring something of worth, of value to his relationship with Miles. And it's a, a very sweet and endearing relationship uh, between the two of them. This is amazing. You can teach me just like Peter said he Before would. Before I die. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, all right. Look, I made a promise to him. Here's lesson number one, kid. Don't watch the mouth, watch the hands. So back to our theme for today and the movie that we're going to take a look at, or rather the TV show, uh, this is a first for us, we're, we're taking a look at Hawkeye, season one, episode six. So this is Christmas and the scene is at eight minutes and 26 into the show. Let's take a Marvel moment. I think slightly just before they're on the on the subway and they're talking about this this party that, that Kate's having to go to where she's going to confront her mum and, and, and everything that, that's kind of happened there to do with... I, can we... Obviously, we cover spoilers and stuff, I, I take it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Normally, James is the one to remind me to warn people about the spoilers in the show. So, obviously, they find out that, that Kate's mum has a connection with Kingpin 
There's a real build with everything that's happened with Ronan. And Hawkeye then says to Kate that I need to create some more more arrows. And so together they go back to his his flat and they start building these arrows, all the, the, the different ones that they're going to need. And it's a really fun scene of just seeing the the different qualities of arrows them testing things to make and and the joy on Kate's face as she's finally getting to to be part of of this mentoring relationship that she's clearly wanted for for a while and probably really since she was a girl and and seeing Hawkeye at the Battle of New York and and Hawkeye been very reluctant at the start of the series to to really go into that mentoring relationship but but the joy of them both working together and and he clearly gets a joy from that and there's a lot of passing things to one another and there's a real synergy i think between them they just they work really well as they're getting their arrows their equipment ready to both go to this this party and and confront the mum and kingpin and and all the other enemies that are ultimately going to assemble at this party yeah absolutely and there's that line where Clint says, uh, we're going to need supplies like a ton of two, really too dangerous trick arrows. And the look on Kate's face as she says, you can make more? Uh, because there's this recurring joke throughout the series where Clint brushes Kate's questions about trick arrows off. At first, it's there's no trick arrows. And then there's no more trick arrows after they use a bunch. And then it's, I can't make them. And it seems like Kate, um, Clint is keeping the trick arrows a guarded secret, almost as if they represent his inner self and the way he's protecting himself and keeping a guard, a level of armour always between him and this over-enthusiastic um, young woman who just wants to know everything about his craft and his work. It's, it's, very, it's very endearing, and just seeing Kate in that inner circle is, is great. You're right. We need a ton of gear. Like a whole batch of way too dangerous trick arrows. You can make more. I think what I said about them working together, and and I guess Hawkeye then having you assume he had that that kind of relationship with Black Widow, maybe not in, in terms of making the things together, but that that close relationship of working together. And and Hawkeye, other than Black Widow, has has always been very standalone and and and, and doing his own thing. But but to see him actually letting some of those walls down and, and again and working with somebody else after. Obviously what, what's happened with, with Black Widow, I think certainly kind of brings a joy to, to get to see him working closely with someone else again. Yeah, because that's one of the real emotional threads through the whole show is Clint coming to terms with the trauma of everything that happened in Endgame. Mm. Uh, he's got his family back, but he's lost Natasha uh, he feels a whole lot of guilt over what happened, something that's reinforced by the presence of her sister uh, see- seeking some retribution. At the heart of it, he, he just really, really misses his best friend, um, who was perhaps uh, one of his earliest protégés, because you can imagine um, he brought her out of the Red Room into the Fold and Shield, 
and she she is just maybe ever so slightly younger than him, but new to that kind of world of being a shield agent mm. of working for the so-called good guys. Uh, and so, yeah, I could see maybe Kate not being a replacement for Natasha. Nobody could ever replace them, but perhaps taking a similar place in in his inner life, in in his world. One thing I really like about it, and this is perhaps a little bit more superficial, is um, so the flat that they're using is Kate's aunt's flat, and uh, it's it's pretty much a craft nook, a kind of little room where um, Kate's aunt seems to be your stereotypical aunt. She has the cats, she has maybe outlandish wardrobe, and she ha- has a little craft place which handily gives Clint everything that he mm. needs to work on this. So, And you're right, it's just really nice to see um, the little electromagnetic arrows, the um, pepper spray arrows. There's a little label maker that Kate yeah. have, has, which I, I just think is fantastic. She, she's just writing on it too dangerous. Yeah, no, it reminds me, because I, I used to have that, that kind of label maker as a kid and would enjoy typing things onto it and then, and then sticking it onto things. So there's definitely a, a nostalgia part of, of using yeah. something so cheap and basic for, for these really high-tech arrows that they're creating. Yeah, and I suppose that kind of underlines the fact that what Clint does, although he's got these amazing te- um, technological arrows, at the heart of it, he's a, a, a man with a bow and an arrow, mm. with a stick and string. Uh, yes, it's great. And uh, there's that moment where the scene shifts from being about the joy of making the arrows to the preparing themselves for the battle ahead. I think Kate gives off just the, the smallest, almost inaudible sniff um, that betrays her emotions. And Clint takes the time to check in with her. He asks if she's ready for this. He says something along the lines of, uh, this is a necessary part of the job. It's not always easy. Mm. You will get hurt. And I just need to make sure you're ready. I think that in itself shows the kind of mentor uh, Clint is. He, he's always prepared to give people an out. He's really wanting to make sure they're committed, mm. but also that they know that they don't need to do this if they don't want to. And I'm sure we'll discuss a similar scene with Wonder. Mm. later on um but kate gives a really fantastic reply because i think up to this point clint has seen kate as a very privileged overly confident overly enthusiastic person um he's not really seen the darker areas of her life up to this point Uh, but kate opens up to him as well and shares about the time where she lost her father uh in the battle of new york at where she was alone, she was hurting, she was afraid, but she took hope because she saw this lone figure with his stick and string taking on the hordes of aliens and who actually saved her life. You know, you don't have to do this. It is part of the job. It's always inconvenient. It's lonely. He will get hurt. Heroes have to make some tough decisions. So if you're gonna do this, 
I just want to know you're ready. When I was younger, aliens invaded. I was alone. And I was terrified. But then I saw you. Fighting aliens with a stick and a string. I saw you jump from that building even though you can't fly. Even though you don't have superpowers. And I thought, if he could do that, then I didn't have to be scared. You showed me that being a hero isn't just for people who can fly or shoot lasers out of their hands. It's for anyone who is brave enough to do what's right, no matter the cost. Yeah, I like Clint's silent response to that 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 that, that realization because he's obviously still living with the guilt of of Ronan and, and, and what he's done and with the death of, of Natasha and probably not feeling too great about himself in terms of self-worth and, and how he sees himself quite possibly. And, and I think in that moment, there's a realisation again of, of the impact that he has and has had on, on other people. And it's a, a little just facial expression that he gives, but it's you, you can see there's a lot going on underneath that, and and I think that is the lift that he also needs. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Um, we discussed this a little bit in the last episode when we were discussing about hope, about how Clint's arc had been about losing optimism and regaining it in this show. And there is that sense where he's also lost some of his self-worth mm. through the levels that he descended to um, during the blip where he became a violent vigilante and he was struggling in it with his conversations with Natasha. And it's good to see those struggles don't go away. Um, in fact, they may be only increased afterwards, the feeling that perhaps he should have been the one to give his life mm. for the mission. Um, but it's good to see him getting perhaps a little bit of that back and that this mentoring relationship is reciprocal, that they're not equals in every respect, but they both bring things of value and worth to the other person's life. I think this might be a good point to go on to discuss mentoring more widely in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I wonder... Do, do we want to try and share some of our definitions of mentoring just so we have a clearer idea of what we're discussing? Because I, I know it can mean different things to different people. Yeah, and I, and again, this was something I kind of looked into. It was all stuff that kind of looked at back in college, but but really wanted to get an understanding when it when it came to this episode of where we wanted to go. And it, and I guess for me, it's the distinction between mentoring and coaching. That, that helps me kind of define what what mentoring is and, and, and coaching is very much about an ability and, and, and wanting to get better maybe at a specific thing. And so there's a clear end goal of, of achieving something, whatever that might be. Whereas a mentoring is, is then far more about the person 
and, and is very person-centred. And it might be to do with a a character trait, potentially, but but I think it's it's far more holistic in that. And it, and so for me, it's about two people, obviously a mentor and a mentee, both agreeing to this relationship. I think that that's key, that they, there has to be a realisation that they're both stepping into this and there has to be some expectations with, with how that's that's going to work to make that an, an official thing. And ultimately then about the mentor taking that, that mentee on on, on some kind of journey, however that might be, but it being focused on the person and the character rather than any kind of attribute. So that would that be would be how I would roughly kind of define mentoring according according to me. Yeah, I mean that sounds to be pretty much in line of what I'm thinking about um, a mentor being a person who can support and advise and guide you, and it very much being about the personal development. Mm. I do think that there's probably going to be places, especially um, when we're talking about these relationships where there's a lot of mentoring people who are in a similar line of work or vacation, Mm. if you put put it this way, uh, where coaching and mentoring coincide. But there is that just broader interest in the person's development and and well-being. Yeah. Yeah. And I think probably another definition to throw out there which, because I think it'll come out a lot, because it's already come up in one way, is that of a role model. Um, I don't know if you whether you think a, a mentor has to be a role model, but I do think that having somebody to look up to, somebody maybe in a similar field or somebody who embodies something of w- what you want to um, aspire to can be a useful thing to have. But uh, I'm not sure if it's entirely necessary. No, no, potentially not. But I guess, I guess to throw in another point that I, that I would say is probably the responsibility is on the mentee to seek out the mentor and and have a, have a mentor. So I, so I guess for a mentee to seek out a mentor, they potentially have to be a role model because the the mentee has to see something in that person that that they see that they can help them in some kind of way so probably not explicitly it has to be but I think if it was explored you would probably find that well that's why the mentee chose and wanted them as a mentor because they they see them as a role model or, or see something in them that they think yeah yeah that that's something I want to to go towards yeah we definitely see that in the role in the relationship between Clint and Kate um Although it's Clint who finds Kate in the start, um, in many ways that there's a sense where there's a, a sense of narrative convenience there and a feeling that if Kate really had wanted to go down this line of being a superhero, she would have come into contact with, found uh, Clint one way or another. Mm. Yeah. Because uh, she's just that determined kind of person. Um, and I, I think as much as I'm hearing you say there has to be a sense of uh, intentionality about this and explicitly stating, I think there are those times where you'll find uh, mentoring relationships in a more implicit sense as well. And we'll probably spot this through the, um, through the stories, through the characters we're looking at. But I do 
see there's definitely a value in if if there's something implicit going on there you know if you find you're in a relationship where there's one person looking up to the other looking to them for guidance for advice it can be good to take the step and make that explicit mm. uh, i think it's definitely the deal way so that i guess so that expectations um are clearly expressed and you've got something to work to there yeah no definitely and 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 i think also that the the power dynamic then has to come into to play and, and for the mentor that's why i think explicit is better because then both know the, the levels that they're they're working on and there's maybe less opportunity for abusing that power which so easily could could come in if those expectations aren't aren't explicitly spoken about yeah and I, I that could be a good way to start talking about the first relationship that came to mind for me um as a, I was watching movies and preparing for this, which was the relationship between uh, Tony in Iron Man 3 and Harley Keener, the young boy whose um, barn or garage he finds himself in. And there's there's this point of view where Tony's taken interest in Harley. He compliments him on the tech that he has lying around the garage. Um, and he asks about his bully, kind of sensing that perhaps this young man is vulnerable to bully, perhaps seeing a little bit of himself in it. But there's, I think as you were saying, there's also the sense of a power dynamic there where Tony's taking advantage somewhat. I mean, he, he is in this young man's uh, garage. You know, he wasn't invited there. And he starts taking advantage of this boy's a natural gift with technology to try and create some things in the fight that he's involved in. Yeah, it's a troubling relationship, I find, for the majority of it, that it, it feels that Harley's just a means to an end to, to get Tony what he needs. At one point, even just Tony drives off and just leaves Harley on the street. I think gradually there's a there's a softening of of tony towards harley but but i i definitely struggle with the idea of that being a good mentoring relationship um, even if it is a mentoring relationship at all i'm not entirely sure but yeah. but it's but it's definitely one that i find troubling and, and generally find troubling across any mentoring relationship that tony tony has it's yeah, he's not somebody that we should look up to, to to look at the values of a good mentor. No, and I think perhaps part of this is due to where Tony is in his life mm. when he meets Harley. Uh, he is going through some serious uh, emotional turmoil after the Battle of New York, mm. uh, something of an existential crisis, and uh, he's going through relationship difficulties. And perhaps there's something there about before entering into a mentoring relationship, well, asking yourself kind of what kind of space, you know, you as the mentor are in. Are you actually in a good place to be offering encouragement and advice and support to another person? Hmm. Or do you perhaps need some of that for yourself? Yeah, because he clearly has symptoms of PTSD and the anxiety and the panic attacks that come with that. Yeah, I think it's there needs to be some thought put into why why do I want to mentor this person? 
kind of other selfish reasons to that, either to to make yourself feel better or, again, similar to Tony, as a, a means to an end. And 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 so those things need to be thought through first before any mentor goes into that kind of relationship. Because again, the, with the power dynamic, it can so easily be abused when it becomes about the mentor rather than about the, the person you're mentoring, which I think is, is that relationship with Tony and Harley is completely that. It's about Tony and, and what Tony can get out of it rather than yeah. fully helping Harley. Yes. I think there's probably space uh, in between that movie and the funeral scene at end in Endgame, where where I don't know if you remember this, but of all the characters at the funeral for Tony Stark at the end of Endgame, there was a young man there, um, in his late teens or early twenties, and I didn't realize who it was at first. Mm. It was only through searching the cast list that I realized that was Harley. And there's that question there, and maybe it's a fan fiction question, um, but. Did Tony reach out to Harley in the in-between years, perhaps give him some kind of investment um, in his time uh, or in resources, perhaps some kind of scholarship or something? Um, but, but again, that's a question we'll never really know the answer to. Perhaps better to take a turn instead and look at the one relationship Tony has with a protege that we can really say a lot about, and that is with Peter. Mm with Peter Parker Spider-Man. And I don't know about you, but I, fi- I find it concerning, given the conversation we just had, that the way that t- Tony turns up in Peter's living room mirrors the way he turns up in Harley's garage a lot, very, very closely, in that Tony has a need. You know, he's in another conflict, this time with a friend, and he's looking to draw another underage minor into it. Yes, yeah, no, absolutely right. I hadn't even thought of that, but the, yeah, the parallels between of yeah, it, it, it always starts from from a need of Tony's rather than from the other way around. Got a letter here from one of our listeners hmm. from Begonia, and it really touches upon these ideas that we're discussing. And she says, to me, it felt like Tony sort of took advantage of Peter for his powers a 15-year-old kid, and then wasn't honest with him about the fact he wasn't going to be in contact with him again, at least not any time soon. He just put Happy in charge, but Happy didn't want that and didn't have time for it either. He refused to communicate with Peter at all, and I'd argue he didn't really even mentor him. If he had, I don't think Peter would have ended up in the situation he was in. He would have gotten into trouble, sure, but Peter is absolutely right when he tells Tony that he could have prevented the situation with the ferry and other stuff too, to be honest. Tony called the FBI. So this is the scene on the ferry uh, with the weapons dealing, um, but he didn't tell Peter. He just let Peter believe he was ignoring him. Peter was doing the best he could with the information he had. At this point, Tony hasn't worked through his own relationship with his father enough so he's still acting like his dad towards Peter in a lot of ways. Even at the end of the movie, Tony only changes his mind because he's impressed with Peter saving his stuff, and he admits no faults. Worse, his response to that is not to mentor him properly while he grows up, but to make him, again a 15-year-old, an actual Avenger. 
I think Tony gets better later on, but unfortunately he doesn't have that much time, at least that we see with Peter, before or after the blip to make the situation better. I believe that's part of Tony's guilt with Peter in Endgame, not just that he lost him to the snap, but also the mistakes he made before that. I've just rewatched all the Spider-Man movies and currently have very strong feelings about the amount of pressure put on Peter. I'm very curious to hear some positives pulled out of the situation, though. Yeah, there's a there's a lot in that, a lot of really good points. I think of of Tony giving too much power to to Peter, and then lambasting him when he gets into trouble with with that power. And, and just takes it all away from him, yeah. and, and and says, "Oh, you can't have you can't have the suit, you can't have all this equipment anymore." Yeah, and, and it could well be that he's acting out of that 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 trauma from his own relationship with his father, and 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 kind of we know that from from psychology and stuff that you do you, w- without working through things properly, you end up just doing the same things that that your parents did if if that if that was a traumatic relationship it's the same as when a a bully is ultimately somebody who was bullied in the past and and that they're just reenacting what they have seen and and so i think i think they're completely right with those with those points it's always a relationship that i've struggled with and, and when i've looked to see kind of on the internet, lists of the best mentoring relationships, Tony and Peter is always at the top. And I, th- I think because it's probably the most explicit and probably the most seen and the most time given to. And so it's probably one we naturally think of. But but I don't think from what we see, it's great. But my assumption is that there, and again, similar to maybe what you were saying with Harley, there has to be other stuff going on that we don't see and 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 so i'm not completely convinced by the by the point that the reason tony's so upset when when peter gets snapped is is because of the guilt of bringing him in or the mistakes i think it's actually because by that point there is a genuine mentoring relationship but I, but i just don't think we're given enough time to actually see the positive sides of that yeah, I, I, and I think that's a fair assumption, given the nature of the MCU films. I think the way that they are creating a shared universe where the where it happens in real time, mm. I think one of the things I noticed in a meta sense about the movies is just that they do happen in the more or less in the years that they're set in. And so there has to be things happening in between and we're left to almost play detective uh, to, to piece together the clues to see how the relationship goes. I think the same is true of the romantic relationships, between, for example, between uh, Tony and Pepper. You know, there's clearly a lot going on off screen between the two of them, mm. where they're together, they're not together, and they're engaged. And I think the same is true in a different way of Tony and Peter. And there's clearly a great deal of affection between the two of them as well that is expressed at certain points that we see developing. And as much as Peter is a very endearing and affectionate young person, I don't think that would be the case without Tony making some kind of effort with him, perhaps an increased amount between the end of Homecoming 
But I think that Begonia is right in that there is that sense where Peter saves Tony's stuff, the save the plane, um, with the Avengers Tower equipment and technology, and that's where Tony really starts to invest and put that the time in with Peter. Sorry I took your seat. I mean, you had it coming. Actually, it turns out it was the perfect sort of tough love moment that you needed, right, to urge you on, right? Wouldn't you think? Don't you think? Yes. Let's just say it was. <sighs> Mr. Stark, I you really... You screwed the pooch hard, big time. But then you did the right thing. Took the dog to the free clinic, you raised the hybrid puppies. All right, not my best analogy. I was wrong about you. I think with a little more mentoring, be a real asset to the team. To the, to, to the team. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot we can learn about mentor relationships from even, and I, and I guess we generally more we learn more from from seeing mistakes and stuff, and I, and I think that's true of this. But but I think that idea of especially with if it's a youth worker or a support worker mentoring a young person, that we have to remember at the end of the day they are. A young person, and that's not to say that we treat them like children, but that's that we have to understand and and, and the adolescent brain that that is is developing, and and we we should accommodate for that and and should expect mistakes and failures, and be accepting of them because that's that's part of of that development and that growing up and and it's that that I don't think Tony does well at all. He expects. Peter to be an adult and, and act like an adult and then corrects him harshly when actually he acts like a 14 or 15 year old would act and and I think that's so important in, in a mentoring relationship that we remember the actual age of a young person and the expectations that we're, we're putting on them. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right and uh, going back to Begonia's point, there is this amazing amount of pressure put on Peter mm. throughout first by Tony um, and then even more so by Nick, uh, Nick Fury, who is all stick and no carrot. <laughs> he he kind of lays on it on heavy and far from home with the expectation that the world needs another Iron Man. Tony chose you to be an Avenger. Are you up for this or not? You got gifts, Parker, but you didn't want to be here. Mr. Fury, I I'd love to have you in Berlin, too you've got to decide whether you're going to step up or not. Stark chose you. He made you an Avenger. I need that. The world needs that. Maybe Stark was wrong. Was he? The choice is yours. And that is not only a wrong-headed way to go about encouraging mm. somebody um, and drawing out the qualities you see in them. But it also actually was very dangerous in that it pushed uh, Peter into confiding in Mysterio, who at first appears like a really great mentor figure because he is so warmly effusive and complimentary about Peter, about his brilliance, his intelligence. He is friendly, he acts as a confidant, but he's just really doing it all to manipulate and uh, get what he wants mm. from Peter. So I, I think Quentin Beck, Mysterio, is 
probably the worst mentor that Peter has. But I've, in my personal list, I've tied him with Dr. Stephen Strange, who I think is just as terrible. Because as you say, he doesn't consider at all for a second that Peter is a young person, mm. is a teenager. Um, he seems to want to be the groovy um, guidance counsellor type. You know, he... he we get this more in the trailer for No Way Home than the film, but he gives that kind of little winky wink to Peter when Wong says, don't cast that spell. Mm. And then he doesn't take any responsibility for the trouble, the disaster that um, the spell they cast together mm. puts him in, where he's the adult, where he's the expert who... You know, he's a doctor. He should know about consultations. He should have said, now, Peter, I want to explain your options here <laughs> before starting to cast a spell to wipe everybody's memory. Mm. Um, and I think it's one thing that I like about Spider-Man No Way Home is Zendaya's character, MJ. She has a lot more emotional maturity and perspective on the situation where she put, where she calls Stephen out on his nonsense mm. And says, I know some magic words too. Starting with please. So, Scooby-Doo this crap. You know, all this is kind of your mess. I know a couple of magic words myself, starting with the word please. Please, Scooby-Doo this crap. Yeah, no, completely. Because uh, he, he doesn't, Doctor Strange doesn't explain the parameters of the spell or anything and, and makes that, that same mistake of Tony of, of expecting... Peter to be an adult and, and to have thought about these kinds of things to the to the point of they agree to do the spell before he's actually even checked with Peter. Have you spoken to the college to, to reconsider not letting your friends in? And and he, he only does that after the, the spell has gone wrong. And yeah, he's, he's making assumptions then about what Peter will have done because Stephen Strange might have thought, well, I would have done that first. But then he's thinking as an adult and not thinking of, of Peter again as a teenager and, and making sure that we are explicit, give parameters, explain things in detail. Because just because we understand it, a teenager might not or, or might come from a completely different perspective. And it's understanding their frame of reference and where they're coming from. Exactly. And I think there's this constant um, refrain of people berating Peter for not taking responsibility, whereas he he actually comes across as somebody who's very ready to take responsibility. He he's ready to to step up and do his part in solving crime in New, New York. He's ready to um, take on great challenges, but he is a bit too quick to take full responsibility for everything. You know, whereas MJ rightfully calls Stephen out, um, Peter is just so, so apologetic. And he he's always very quick to apologise because he assumes responsibility for everything. I, I think what he needs is a mentor who can actually guide him through some of that and go, well, look, it, this isn't all your responsibility. You know, I, I'm the person who's, you know, more experienced and more skilled in this. I should be taking responsibility for this. You know, we both have our part to play in this um, but uh, poor Peter very often and I think we see this through all the incarnations uh, is just taking everything on himself and you constantly need a reminder no 
you know, it's not all your decision. It's not all your responsibility. You know, I have a part to play in this too. Yeah, and 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 I guess thinking of the wider, absolutely in thinking of the the multiverse and the other Spider-Man iterations. So thinking of Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man and Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man as well. That's a a character trait that is that is in there of of shouldering too much of this responsibility and, and, and taking it all on. And that that seems to be something that those those three iterations of of Peter Parker all do. Yes, I, I keep thinking about that scene in Spider Man Two. Uh, do you remember where he is feeling really unwell and he's, but he's also feeling really at the end of his tether with all the responsibilities and burdens that come with being Spider Man, and he's having a sort of dream where he's talking to Uncle Ben. And saying, you know, like, I, I want a life, I want a relationship. And, and Ben is coming down heavily on the great power, great responsibility line and asking Peter to take his hand. So for me, there was very much this sense of um, the uncle, the dream Uncle Ben. It, and I have to dif- differentiate that from the real Uncle mm. Ben, who I don't think would have been so heavy handed. Because, um, I mean, he, he's certainly a a man who had a responsibility to his job, but also to his family, to a relationship. All the things you've been thinking about, Peter, make me sad. Can't you understand? I'm in love with Mary Jane. Peter, all the times we've talked of honesty, fairness, justice, out of those times, I counted on you to have the courage to take those dreams out into the world. I can't live your dreams anymore. I want a life of my own. You've been given a gift, Peter. With great power comes great responsibility. Take my hand, son. No, Uncle Ben. I'm just Peter Parker. I'm Spider-Man. No more. No more. Uh, But I think Peter, in keeping everything to himself and bottling everything up, has this sense of, I've got to keep this to myself. It's got to be me and only me. And if he just let somebody else in a bit more, they could help him to sort through that. And I, I think we get a little bit of that with his relationship with his aunt, with his relationship with Mary Jane in that movie. Mm. Uh, I, I think ultimately I want to do an episode where we talk about responsibility in the Spider-Verse because it's handled in some very interesting and not always healthy ways. Mm. Um, I've got another letter here from a listener from Richard on the theme of Peter's mentors. In the MCU, I believe Peter's most significant mentor was Tony Stark, though his influence was mixed at best. He was inconsistent in his words and actions, sending confusing or mixed messages, even directly telling him not to do anything he would do, and that he wanted him to be better than himself. He wasn't around to give guidance when he was needed, kept crucial information to himself, 
like the investigation into the black market weapons and could appear to be dismissive of Peter's concerns, which made Peter think he had to take on the vulture himself. For his part, I think Stark felt responsible for Peter and was concerned not to put him in danger, and I think he saw himself as a bad example and maybe kept away for, for that reason. I believe Stark was genuinely well-meaning and cared a great deal about Peter, but he simply did not know how to be a better mentor. He seems not to have had that influence in his own life. And then he makes a point that Peter's worst mentor was surely Mysterio in Spider-Man Far From Home, um, because he was the only mentor figure he had who was truly cynical, only posing as a mentor to manipulate. After watching Spider-Man No Way Home, I believe Peter's best mentor was the version of Aunt May in this trilogy. While she would have once been his primary caregiver, he was at an age when he was becoming more independent, and the relationship was shifting to one of mutual friendship, so I believe it's appropriate to see her as a mentor figure in his life. Uniquely, as a close family member, and someone who knew and loved him as both Peter and Spider-Man, she was able to support him in ways that nobody else could, truly with his best interests at heart. She took his responsibility as Spider-Man seriously, and didn't discourage him from this life due to risk, but supported him and gave him clear moral di direction, which he stood by. Yeah, I think I would obviously agree with the first bit about about Tony Stark, and I think we've covered we've covered that well. And I think it goes back to that key point of he's not had a a positive mentoring influence himself in his own life, and 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 so is is living out of 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 the trauma and and the experiences that he's had because he, his dad clearly wasn't a good a, a good role model to him and there's obviously then that very touching scene in Endgame where he, he gets to go back and actually have a conversation with his dad and, and and I think that that brings some healing and I think potentially after that could have been a, a better mentor I think but we obviously don't get to to see that yeah and, and it brings up your point about Mysterio I think is true. I think I think Anne May Aunt May is the best role model. I I guess with my parameters of being of what I think a mentor is, I wouldn't say that Aunt May is a mentor. But I think she has a great model role model and and and, and tries to instill good character and, and good a good moral compass into Peter. Absolutely. And and I, I think from all the the adults in Peter's life, I think Aunt May's the most balanced, and and I think she's the one that's probably the most most self reflective, and and most self assured when she's able in No Way Home when she's able to explain to to Peter that actually she doesn't want to go out with Happy because there's boundary issues and and things and so she's she's very mature, very understanding of herself and and, and self aware that I don't think any of the male adults in Peter's life are. I think she stands as a shining beacon in comparison to, to the rest of them who are all, who are all pretty messed up and, and all have major issues. So, so I think she is a, a great example and a great role model, definitely. But I, I just, I wouldn't go as far to say that, that she could be a mentor. And that's just based on my, 
parameters that I put on, on what a mentor is. Just before I pick up that point, it just strikes me with regards to Tony and his mentoring influences, the, the way, ways he's had mentors in his life, that after his father passed on, the only mentor figure he really seemed to have had uh, was Obadiah Stane, who, who um, as friendly as he appears, seems to be having just been looking after him as if he was a golden goose that lays the eggs. Um, so, yeah, he, perhaps rather uh, rudderless, not knowing really who to trust for guidance himself. And maybe that comes in to play with his relationship with Nick Fury. As much as Nick seems to be looking out for his best interest, he can't really feel like he can trust him. And um, as to your point on um, Aunt May, I've got actually another letter here from Sophie that says that she didn't really see May as being a a mentor either, that because May had taken on a parental or caretaking role for Peter since he was four years old, she's hunted down the lost teddy, being a shoulder to cry on when other children were mean, insisted there was absolutely no way Peter was going another day without washing his hair and changing his bedsheets. And she's saying that all, all these roles about caretaking, that it's intimate, boring and totally necessary. And no matter how cool May is, the nature of her role with Peter means he's unlikely to idolise her as he does Iron Man. And I'm just thinking about that. You know, there is that kind of adage that familiarity breeds contempt. But I think, as Richard was saying the, there is that shifting in relationships that happens when you're, you're moving into your adulthood. May, I need your help. It's game day, so what's the plan? Open the door for her. Mm-hmm. Tell her she looks nice, but mm-hmm. not too much because that's creepy. Don't be creepy. No, and uh, when I dance with her, I'm putting my hands on her hips. I got this. And as, as much as May was that caregiver for Peter when he was younger, you know, he was seeing her in a different light. You know, they were talking very much often as equals, um, although, you know, recognising she had responsibility for his safety and his well-being. Mm. And I think you're quite right that, you know, she she was a, a role model. She was a, an example of how to be in herself, in her relationship with others, in what she put out into the world. And I'm just thinking about her work in Feast, uh, which is the social action agency she works for Mm. in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And just thinking that it seems that in between Homecoming and Far From Home, Peter's been helping her in that place. You know, he's certainly been helping her as Spider-Man. You know, I was thinking about that scene where they do the fundraiser together. And perhaps there's room to say that actually she did act as a mentor for him for maybe that short period of time where she she was taking him to work, giving him some work experience, seeing what she did and giving and it certainly seems like her advice towards him in No Way Home flows from that. You know, when Peter says that the villains, that Norman, that Otto, that the others aren't his responsibility, she invites him to look around at the feast and see this is actually what we do here. 
you know, and I think there's very much that inclusive way. She means, you know, you and me as well as mm. me and the other feast workers. I don't know whether it was formalised, but it certainly seems to be a, a level of informal mentoring there. And I, I feel like it is possible to be both a parent, a caregiver and a mentor. And for me, that's coming from my own experience. I think in my early adulthood, my my dad was very much a mentor to, to me, uh, someone who sat down with me, discussed the situations that I was going through, talked about the situations from his own life. And I think that that isn't an always an easy thing to do as a parent because it means creating a space for the child, hmm. even the grown child, to just be themselves, to bring their concerns in a way where you don't immediately give an opinion or pronounce a judgment um, as you might have felt expected to do when they were younger, but instead um, to ask questions and to really seek out their perspective before giving any advice. It's perhaps not something we can come to a definitive conclusion mm. on today, but I think there's definitely an interesting question there around whether May can truly be a mentor or not. Yeah, yeah, no, no, definitely. I think, yeah, I think that's maybe something I need to maybe reflect on a little bit more. I think there are some, some good, there's some good thoughts there. We're going to take a break there and come back to this topic in the next episode where we'll discuss whether Spider-Man makes for a good Spider-Mentor and ask just who is the best mentor in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We'll also take a look at an extra special Stan Lee moment and explore some mindful moments in the MCU. But before we sign off, one of the things we like to do here is to shine a spotlight on various corners of the geek and fan community that may have unexpected resonance with our theme. Now a mentor can be someone who takes you on a journey of discovery, which in a way is also what a good dungeon master does. Allow me to introduce you to one of my favourite DMs and tabletop game hosts, Eric Beck of Dimension Zoriat. As a tabletop gaming host, Eric offers the space and resources for people to improve their well-being through the power of playing games. He runs board game and card game sessions, drawing upon a library of more than 75 titles, as well as various role-playing games, both in person and digitally. In addition to the classic Dungeons and Dragons, he can also offer RPGs like Scum and Villainy, a Guardians of the Galaxy style game, and Venture City, a fate RPG with superheroes. Eric hosts tabletop game sessions in person in Edinburgh, Scotland, and offers role-playing games both in person and online. At the moment, he can only offer RPG one-shots. And the best way to contact him is either through Facebook, at DimensionZoriat, or through email, DimensionZoriat at gmail.com. That's Zoriat, spelled X-O-R-I-A-T. Eric is also on Twitter and Instagram at Dimension Zoriat, but the best place to find more information is on his Facebook page, and I'll put the full details in the show notes. With all that said, all that's left to do is thank Stephen Mitchell, my guest for this show, David Shaw, who created our epic theme tune, The Moment Has Come, Jacob Allison, who assisted in the production of this episode, 
and Ruben Watt, our editor for this episode. Thanks also go to Begonia, Richard and Sophie for their fantastic letters and thoughts, and to all our listeners. If you enjoy what you're hearing, please do hit like, subscribe and or follow and all buttons of that nature. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, do consider leaving us five stars and a review. It really helps people to find the show. Marvel Moments is a human happening podcast. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at our Marvel Moments and on Instagram at Marvel Moments Podcast, where you can join in the discussion. See you next time.